trying to decide what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, I just began to pray for the church. I just began to pray for each of you and, uh, and for our church as a whole. I, it would be an understatement to say how much we love each one of you. I tell you what, uh, God has so blessed us. I, I never dreamed that in my 80th year, I would still be able to pastor a church that I love so much and that I feel so much love from. And we just thank you so much for that. So, I wanted to pray for our church. And I thought, well, what kind of prayer? And the Apostle Paul gave me a good prayer to pray for you. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1. And it's uh, going to begin in verse 15. And uh, I wonder if we could get that in the King James Version. Uh, I like the ESV very well, but I tell you, some verses I memorized in the King James, and I like it better in the King James. So here, wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love to all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And that's just so true. We just do that. that and here's what I pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you and unto me, unto all of us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That basically means I'm praying that we just get to know God better and that, that God will give to us that spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. In other words, not some fresh revelation, not some... Uh, a spooky revelation kind of thing, you know, but that, that it might be revealed to us how to know God more and to know him better. And that's really our greatest need is to know him. This is life, the Bible says, to know God and the one he has sent. And then the next verse says, here's what I'm praying, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's next Sunday's sermon, that phrase. And then, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, that's week after next sermon, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Let me go ahead and finish that. Which, I see, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. 
and hath put all things under his feet and gave to him, it's all talking about Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, I could just say amen, and we could go home right now, couldn't I? Because that's just a great passage of Scripture, and I know, but I'm not going to do that, okay? But I want you to know that's what I'm praying for our church this year. Just this prayer is my prayer for our church this year, that God will give to us the spirit of wisdom and knowledge of him, understanding who God is more and more and more. Because, you know, most people have developed a view of God that is very, very inferior to what he really is like. Some people have a view of God like he's some huge ancient Santa Claus sitting up in the sky just kind of giving out gifts to those who are good, that he's making a list and checking it twice going to find out who's naughty and nice and he's got and other people see him as a stern angry judge standing up in heaven just looking for somebody that's having a good time so he can bump on the head and say cut it out I want you to be miserable well that's not God and uh, there are a lot of other views of God but what Paul is praying here and what I'm praying is that God will give us spirit of wisdom, that insight, the true picture of who God is and that we might have the revelation of the knowledge of him. And then he says that, that our eyes can be opened, the eyes of our understanding, so that we can begin to see who, uh, who he is. And then he, he makes three specific prayer requests. And he said, I'm praying for these three things to become real for you. And the first one is what he says is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Now, when we use the word hope, I've mentioned this before. We use the word hope. We usually mean some kind of contingency. Like, well, we wish that something would happen. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it means absolute, total, confident assurance that something is true, that something is real. And the Bible talks about the hope of his coming. That doesn't mean we hope he's coming. It means the absolute, certain confidence that he is coming. And the hope that he wants us to have that he's talking about here is basically he's talking about the assurance of our salvation. God wants you to know that you know him. He wants you to absolutely be certain that you are born again and that your faith, your trust, your hope is in Christ alone. And he wants you to be able to go to bed at night, put your head on your pillow and say, I know for certain that if I were to die in my sleep, that I would wake up in the presence of Jesus. And it's important that we have that assurance. Now, I know that there are vast numbers of people who don't even think you can be sure of that. There are vast numbers of people that if you ask them, do you know for sure you'll go to heaven if you were to die, they'd say something like, well, I, I hope so. 
Well, I think I might. I, I'm, I, no, God does not want us to hope like that. He got, does not want us to imagine that we might. He wants us to be able to say, along with the Apostle John in 1 John, I know that I know him. And like the Apostle Paul, I know whom I have believed, and I am confident, I'm certain, I am persuaded, I am sure that what I've committed to him will be eternal. That I'm saved. To be able to say, I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. That's so important. Now, one reason it's important is if we don't know that we're saved, we can't grow. If we don't know, we can't grow. Because we're always going back, well, am I really a Christian? Am I really a Christian? And we tend to measure our spiritual life sometimes by our emotions rather than by what God has said. And God wants us to have assurance. And he says, the, the hope of our calling. The hope of, actually it says the hope of his calling. Because salvation is something that God has done for us, to us, and in us. It's not something we have achieved. It's not something we have accomplished. It is his Calling. Now, there are two kinds of calls that the Bible speaks of. There's what we just call a general call. God commands all people everywhere to repent and believe. But not everybody will do that. In fact, the vast majority of people will not do that. My wife and I were talking this morning about family members that we love and pray for. That they've heard the general call. But there is another kind of call, and the theologians call it the effectual call. It is a call in which God, by his Holy Spirit, calls a man out of death into life. It's that kind of call where the Spirit of God works in such a way that he actually gives life to the dead and calls them out. It's kind of illustrated by the story of Lazarus. When Lazarus was dead, he'd been dead for four days. Jesus shows up, and they all say, oh, if you'd have just been here. But Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said, well, he's out here in the tomb. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. Now, Jesus could have done that. He could have just said, stone, roll away. But he didn't. He told them to roll the stone away. We have a responsibility to do what we can do but they rolled the stone away, and then Jesus just did a very simple thing. He said, Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. And everybody must have looked at one another, and they must have thought, well, that's silly. And then some of them may have thought, well, what if he really does come forth? Which way am I going to run? But he called him and he said, come forth. And the Bible says that Lazarus came out of the tomb. Now, Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have done a lot of other things. But I think he did that for one thing because he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. And he did it to demonstrate his deity. But he also did it, I think, to illustrate the, uh, the way salvation works. 
And I want you to know you and I, before you were saved, you were deader than Lazarus. You were, you were dead in trespasses and sin. And somebody could have, and, and, and maybe somebody did, share the gospel with you, but you had no appetite for it at all. Dead people don't have an appetite for spiritual things. Every once in a while I go down to the Shiloh Cemetery out here outside of Ovilla, and I took my senior English class out there one time. We were studying our town, and uh, I took them out there, and we talked, and, and I just told them, I said, you know, if I were to stand up here and preach and offer a gospel invitation to all these dead people, how many of them would come? And they looked at one another like, well, I hope nobody does. <laughs> and they said, I, I don't guess anybody. I said, no, they wouldn't. And I said, suppose I, I offered a steak dinner and I put a steaks on the grill and I took the fan blew the aroma of the steaks how many would come for that oh nobody I said you're exactly right and I said I want you to know people who are not Christians are just as dead as these people who are in this cemetery and there is absolutely no way they can even come we we call people, come, come to Jesus. They can't come. In fact, Jesus himself said, no one can come to me unless he's drawn and he's given life to come. So while we preach and while we pray and while we give out gospel tracts, we know that we cannot raise anybody from the dead. Oh, but God can. And he did. And he did in you. There was a time I was dead toward God and the Spirit of God quickened me. That's a word that means to be, to make you alive, to bring you to life. And he gave me life and it was a miracle. And it was his call that called me out of death into life. Now, since that happened, I need to know that it really has happened. That I am have been effectually called. Listen, I want to read a quote. I don't do this often, but this is a long quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I love. He says, God, through the gospel and by the Holy Spirit, sends out a general call to the whole world, but he calls certain people in particular. And no man is a Christian unless he's called in this special sense. The called are the Christians, and the Christians are the called. They are the people in whom the word of God has been made effective. It has come to them in power. It has come as a command, just like to, to Lazarus. It's come as a command which they readily respond to with the whole of their being. The apostles' petition is that they might know the hope of this calling. 
And oh, I tell you, if you've trusted in Jesus, he gets all the glory. I mean, he gets all the praise. You don't pat yourself on the back. You don't say, my, how smart I was. No, you say, God, I could never have come unless you called me with this effectual call and brought me to Jesus and brought me to salvation. See, God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. In fact, one whole book in the Bible is written to kind of help you have assurance. It's the book of 1 John. The same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And, and in this book, he says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. But these things I've written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. And that's so important, to know that you know. And some of the evidences in First John is that you love the brethren. You loved other Christians. And uh, uh, another evidence is that you you love to obey his commandments. You, you want to do what God wants you to do. Another one is that you actually hate sin. Now, it doesn't mean you don't ever sin, but it does mean that you don't make a practice of sinning and that if you do sin, you're brokenhearted over it and you repent and you confess it and you, and you move back into that good relationship. So God wants us to be sure. Uh, when I was a little boy, I've told some of you this story, but when I was a little boy, I was in school, in about second grade, and there was a boy in, that, in our class that was talking about how that his mom and dad was not his mom and dad. I didn't know what he meant. He meant that he had been adopted. That's a wonderful thing, to be adopted by a loving family. And, uh, but... But it, it kind of puzzled me, and I went home, and I asked my mother. I said, Mother, are you really my mother? She said, well, of course. She said, of course. And I said, well, are you sure? She said, son, yes, I'm sure. And I said, well, you know, Tommy said that his mother wasn't his mother. I just wondered if you're really my mother. She said, yes, I, I gave birth to you. I'm your mother. So I came back a couple of hours later and said, Mother, are you really sure you're my mother? And, of course, she's getting irritated by now. And then I made the mistake of asking my dad. I said, Daddy, are you really my dad? And I think he may have smacked me. I don't know. I, but he said, don't be silly. And I wasn't being silly. I just was confused. I just wanted to know, am I really your child? And it, I, I actually irritated him about it for a week or two. And then I went to visit my grandmother. Now I'm all young. And I went to her house. And as soon as I was alone with her, I said, Mama, can I ask you a question? I said, is Mama and Daddy really my Mama and Daddy? Am I really their child? She said, I'm glad you asked me that question. Well, I was surprised at that. I thought that wasn't the 
response I'd gotten from my mom and dad. She said, I can prove to you that you're their child. And she went and rummaged through some paper, and she pulled out something called a birth certificate. And she said, look here. It says right here, Raymond Scott Harris, Mabel Lee Young Harris gave birth to Nikki Charles Harris on October the 12th, 1943. And she said, this is a record, a written record of your birth to Raymond and Mabel Harris. I said, well, that's... But she said, I can actually go one better than that. She said, do you know that when you were born, I was there? As a matter of fact, I helped you be born. And she said, I actually held you a minute after you were born. She said, I was present when it happened. So I know. And then she went to that same big old chest, and she pulled out one other thing. She said, let me show you one other thing. She said, look at this picture. And it was a picture of a little boy. She said, who, who, who is this? I said, well, it looks like me. She said, well, it's not you. She said, in fact, this is your daddy when he was a little boy. And he doesn't look like you. You look like him because he's your daddy. And I went away so happy. I thought, well, I guess mom and daddy are my mom and daddy. Now, years later, when I was trying to help somebody with their assurance of salvation, I remembered that that happened to me. And I said to him, do you know that you have a written record, a printed record, saying that you are born again? And it's the word of God. God's word is better than any birth certificate. And it just says right here that whoever believes in Jesus, whoever calls upon the Lord, will be saved. Have you done that? Well, yes. Then this is a written record saying that you're a child of God. But I said there's something better than that. The Holy Spirit of God was present when you were born. As a matter of fact, he helped you be born. He was there and he sealed you as his very own as you were born. And there is an inner witness. The Bible says the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. But I said then there's a third evidence too. If you're a child of God, you actually have his DNA working in you. And it means that you begin to walk like him. You begin to think like him. You begin to look like him. And that's the actual what God is doing in every child of God. He is shaping us, conforming us into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So how do I know I'm a child of God? Well, I know because the Word, the written Word, tells me that I'm His child. 
I know it because the Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit. And then I know it because he is conforming me in my daily life to the image of Jesus. So God wants me to know, wants you to know. And the first essential in knowing is having that knowledge that comes from God. Oh, my goodness. I've got about... I should have cut this into four pieces instead of three. Uh, another way you know is that God... One thing that gives you assurance is that God has made a covenant. God, Did you know that God the Father and God the Son entered into a, an eternal covenant before the world was ever made. Isn't that amazing? Before you were ever born, God had written your name in that covenant. I love that song we sing, uh, Oh, about the power of the cross. It said, Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. Did you know that your name was inscribed on the very hands of Jesus? And uh, God made a covenant a blood covenant. It's kind of illustrated in the covenant that David and Jonathan made. They cut a blood covenant with each other and said, those who are in you will be mine. And when Mephibosheth, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up. That's another whole sermon. But when Mephibosheth was fetched. I love the King James that he went and fetched him. It's like the Holy Spirit fetched me. And they brought Mephibosheth to David and David said to Mephibosheth I'm going to show you kindness. Covenant love. And Mephibosheth said well, why? I'm just a dead dog. I was born in the wrong family. I was on the wrong side. And I'm crippled in both legs. I have. And David said, hey, it doesn't have anything to do with you, buddy. It has to do with a covenant I made before you were ever born. And it was a covenant marked in blood. And it said that all who belong to Jonathan will belong to me. And I want you to know God had your name inscribed before you ever came to him. And you came to him because he chose you, he called you. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And it's going to happen, folks. It will happen. That's what gives me assurance of my salvation because it's based on a covenant. It's also based on an oath. The Bible says that God, when he could swear by nothing greater, he swore by himself. Listen to this in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you. Now men swear by things greater than themselves, and an oath 
for confirmation ends all strife. So God, wanting more abundantly to show his immutability, confirmed it by an oath and by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong confidence who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. There it is, that hope. Well, he's made a covenant. He's made an oath. And it's part of his overall plan. I love the passage there in Romans 8, 29 through 31. It says, all those he foreknew, that is the ones that he set his affection on, those that he loved, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And all those he predestined, he called. And all those he called, he justified. And all those he justified, he glorified. So what shall we say then? If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, do you know, folks? You know, I have people say, well, uh, predestination, election, all that just boggles my mind. Well, then just, just let it bless your heart. Don't worry about it in your mind. I don't have to understand something to enjoy it. And I don't have to understand the mystery of all this workings of the Spirit of God, the eternal plan of God, but to know that I'm in it and that he has chosen me, called me, justified me, and glorified me. He speaks of it as if it's already done. And that helps me with my confidence. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That is the sweetest frame of mine. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You say, yeah, but, but what about when discouragement and Pressure comes against me. Well, then I sing the second verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Then above all, we sing the third verse. His oath, his covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I tell you, God wants us to know the hope of his calling. Augustus Top Lady, the man who wrote Rock of Ages, he wrote many other songs, but one of his, the one that he wrote, and I don't have the all of it, but listen to this out of it. The work 
which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. You understand that? What God started with his goodness and mercy, his strong arm will complete. His promise is yea and amen and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you glad to be saved? Aren't you glad to know that you're known by the Father? Aren't you thankful to know that there was a time when you were dead in trespasses and sin, under the wrath of God, alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, but God, in grace and mercy, called you out of the tomb and said, Nikki, come forth. And I came forth. Not by my power, not by my might, but by the Spirit of God who energized me and gave me life and gave me faith. And I believed. And I rest on that. I go to bed at night, not in any kind of arrogant attitude. I don't go to bed thinking, well, I've sure lived for Jesus 100% perfect today. No. In fact, there's rarely a night I would go to sleep like that. I look back on almost every day and say, well, there's some things I could have done better or should have done different. But I go to bed every night saying, I do know this that God loved me so much that he sent his only son to die in my place on a cross and then drew me to himself, gave me life, sealed me with his spirit, inhabited me by his spirit, and has secured me to be with him forever and ever. So that's the first part of the prayer that I'm praying for you and for me. And we'll look at the second part, Lord willing, next Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my heart is just absolutely about to explode with joy right now. To just know that I had no right, I had no ability to come to you And yet, in grace and mercy and in unbelievable love, you came to me, called me out of darkness into your marvelous light, called me out of death into eternal life. And now you want me to know the depths of that love. You want me to grow in my understanding of who you are. And I pray that for myself, and I pray that for every member of this church and every person here today, and we love you for it. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. Now, be something if here today you said, you know, I, I came into this service, wasn't even certain whether I was a Christian or not. Or maybe I came in, knew I wasn't a Christian. But in the last hour, I have sensed some tug in my heart. It's like someone's pulling me to Jesus. Boy, if that's the case, you come running up here, okay? You come up and say, I'm coming to Jesus today. I'm trusting in him and him alone, his oath, his covenant, his blood. That's what will support me, even in the overwhelming flood of life. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.